And now you're going to introduce our guests today, Kevin, right? Because you're, you're back now. Yes, correct. Fuck yeah. I hate that shit. I'm back. I'm back, baby. Cool. Okay. Um, I want, how do you say hello in German? Did anyone do this research? It's not uh, Auf Wiedersehen, right? That's goodbye. Deutschland. <laughs> Deutschland, everyone. <laughs> Are you Googling it? mean okay we'll, we'll wait we the, the audience loves dead air let's go hello 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 oh, <laughs> what a fucking stupid language hello hello <laughs> That's how my soul feels after this election. Am I right? <laughs> oh, damn. Damn. I've been walking around saying, uh, muttering in German to myself, or what I think is German. Just uh-huh. like, Schwatzel. <laughs> <laughs> really trying to get in this character. Um, normally, we ask our guests what their um, star signs are. But for this season, this is the first episode of uh, Novemberfest. Um, I want to ask you what your German personas are. If you guys were Germans, what kind would you be? I'll, I'll start first. Um, I'm like, I think I'm like, um, I'm treat boy rising and then, um, and uh, beer made uh, moon sign, I think. Mm, that's good. I think I would be like, um, like Berliner, you know, like late seventies Berlin, like uh, Bowie acolyte. Okay. What are your German signs, guys? Wait, stumped here. <laughs> your like, German sonas. I'm like a schnitzel, uh, like sausage, beer, beer hall goer. Mm. Okay, I like that one. Schnitzel oh, on the streets. I could play like, um, when I was in Germany, we played like on fixed gear bikes, like really hipster bikes, and mm. we played a polo on the bikes. Ooh. That's very German. Yeah. you in Germany. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <wild>. in paradise. <laughs> mm, yeah, what happens in Germany stays in Germany, eh, Fraulein? What would my persona be? Um, be careful. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You gotta, oh, I don't know. Yeah. I'm... You are German, correct? So use just yourself. I, yeah, yeah. yeah just, <laughs> I would just be me. Come on. Hilda Brand. Um, she likes to follow all the rules. So oh, she, perfect. Uh, you know, she's not a rule breaker. Uh huh. What else? I don't know. <laughs> I, I gotta say, this is already so making me a little sick seeing um, two people who are happy. We, we uh, canonically, all of our guests, uh, do you guys sleep in the same bed? That sounds so nice. <laughs> I mean, it's like, Normally we have weird deranged loners on and just like you have the sun on you guys and you're like laughing at each other. This, have you ever seen the talented Mr. Ripley? <laughs> oh, I just watched that for the first time. Yeah, we should do that. <laughs> I want to be Philip Seymour Hoffman's character. I just want to be someone who's not me. Um, so <laughs> hello and welcome to Discorgeous. It's a podcast about wine. My name is Duck. 
Hi, I'm the dumb one. I'm back from paternity leave. Thank you Hello. so much. Um, and our guests today are Gina and Mikey Juni. I got it right, right? Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Good job, Kevin. Thank you. Thought you were the dumb one. Well, <laughs> it, just I wait mean, and see. It's a little bit of irony because we're actually both really fucking stupid. I will say, I was trying to do research for this episode and uh, if it very much feels like the first day back at school and like... <laughs> My teacher, like your teacher gives you like a book report or something and you don't know how to do brain anymore. You're just like thinking about all like the going on like the lake and like going to the beach and eating ice cream cones and like all of a sudden you have to read Catcher in the Rye. I was just like, this is hard. Germany is hard. There's so many things in Germany that have come and gone. Um, it's just very difficult. I didn't like it. We're actually, the German tourism board is paying for this podcast um, mm. this month. So actually, there are some things that have come and gone in Germany that we will not talk about. So the entire first half of the 19th, of the 20th century, we are not speaking about. Great. The entire last half of the 19th century, we are not talking about. Mm -hmm. And um, anything pre-Roman Empire, we are not talking about. Cool. So we're just keeping it really in the chill stuff when they, um, the biblical printing press stuff, yes. Um, all the weird stuff, no. Cool. <laughs> Pretty exciting times. Um, and also, speaking of other sponsors, we actually have three for this episode. Are you guys ready? Yeah. Okay. Um, number one, Radical Wine in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, they are a wine store, and they've also let us store wine with them. So um, if you are in Brooklyn, New York, or a nearby place, please go. Cool. Um, Bespoke Social Club. Mm -hmm. uh, they send our wine for us, and they are really fun. If you have a corporate event, book it through Bespoke Social Club. And finally, Von Bowden, um, they, 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 he helped us find uh, a lot of these wines. Um, so it's going to be really bad when we, when we talk shit about them later. And he's also raising money um, with Reason Fair to help uh, uh, areas in California affected by the wildfires. So um, go give him all of your money. Yeah. Cool. <sighs> I'm sweating. I've never had to do anything that professional. <laughs> I feel like I'm on the March of Dimes. That was great. Yeah. That's what well, I call myself. <laughs> so, hey, guys. Welcome to November Fest. Um, we're going to talk about German wine. We're in Baden 2020. Mm -hmm. um, let's start with just saying, like, what's your, what's your relationship to German wine in general? What's you said your relationship you spent, with Germany? You said you spent time in Germany. Was it wine-related or just for fun? No, it was just for fun. I was like 21 okay. and just backpacking Europe. And Ooh. Was that when you had a mullet? Yep. That's wow. when I had hair. And, uh, and when I had hair, I had a mullet. And nice. uh, yeah, it feels a little weird, a little hipster-like to talk about that. But uh, <laughs> but now no. you're just a cool California winemaker, so there's nothing hipster yeah, wine about that at all. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. It was his past life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> No, at that time, I was just maybe buying cheap white wine and uh, chugging it before we went out. Hell yeah. That was pretty cool. Yeah, totally. It's did not that. The, the discotheca in Germany? That's going no, out. no. Just, um, where did we go? I, st I did like, a, what was that? Um, the art, it's like a couch surfing. And so okay. I, st oh, yeah. Yeah. I stayed with some guy and we like went to... That's why we played polo on bikes because he was a bicyclist and we like went to his friend's house and it was pretty sweet. It was pretty fun. I was only in Munich for like three days and then we then I went to Switzerland. Couchsurfing was really weird. Like just staying, like, that was such a a looking forward. Kind of, 
it wouldn't make sense now because people would get murdered instantly, but like, oh yeah, I'll just crash on your couch. Like what yeah. could go wrong? Or with COVID, like any type of illness. I don't think anyone wants anyone in each other's houses now, but. <laughs> yeah, for those listening from the future, couches were a thing that you used to let your friends sleep on and friends were people that you used to get to see that weren't your family. Um, it was a crazy time. Um, I couch surfed in Frankfurt uh, at an old a men's home. It was a home for solitary uh, adult men who were divorced or something. So it was terrible. I, I stayed with this this English guy who had a room there, and he was like, "Oh yeah, I live in an apartment complex." And he explained, it. and it was like, it was like a halfway house, but they didn't have drug or alcohol problems. They were just didn't know how to do anything. It was like, <laughs> so it was like teaching classes on how to like cook an egg or how to stop calling your ex-wife. It was really <laughs> fucking depressing. <laughs> We actually found out, I don't know, a year or so ago, uh, we were talking about couch surfing, and Alice and Olivier Damore are mm-hmm. on couch surfing. Like, uh, what? You can stay at their house. You probably can't get the wine appointment like through other people, but if you go on oh, couch yeah. surfing, I mean, you can literally, pre-COVID, yeah, pre COVID. Yeah. I didn't see. know the couch surfing, the website still existed. Like, it feels like a very pre Airbnb thing. But yeah, maybe it's, it's just more, it, I guess it's more European than American or something. I don't know. It feels like MySpace. It's like, right. so it's like the same platform as MySpace. I was going to say it reminded me of like, um, what was it? Hopstop or like MapQuest, like the old <laughs> websites that used to tell you how to get places before Google Maps existed. You'd print them out. Yeah. It's very so that era. How I learned to drive was with MapQuest. And as soon nope. as you take the wrong turn, you're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's weird. I remember, like, <laughs> it, it, actually, having a map would have made more sense. But, it, you know, I, I wanted to go into the future so boldly. Like, instead of just having an atlas, you just have a printout of, like, the one, like, an square. Atlas. And if you just go outside of it. miss your exit, you're doomed. Yeah. yeah, you're fucked. You can call your dad and say, Dad, can you... Like print out the new map quest. <laughs> yeah, I remember you one time it to me, Dad. My, my, my dad picked me up from New York to drive me home for some reason, and he was like, "I think I know a detour," and just like took a right off the Merritt Parkway, and then we had to call my mom, who was working at their restaurant, like behind, like she was a chef, she was behind the line cooking, and she had to get an atlas out, like while she's making cheeseburgers, and look up where we were. She'd be like, "Where did you turn? Do you remember the last town you saw?" And then say, I think you need to go north. <laughs> Eventually we found our way. But, you know, these are simpler times. I have a little bit of a German joke for this. It oh. sounds like you are having fun, fun, fun on the Autobahn, Kevin. Oh, cool. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping we talk about a lot of craft work. That's we very talk about much cra- Do you guys like craft my work? Wheelhouse. Craft work? I don't know what craft work is. Uh-oh. Okay, get ready Podcast for a digression. Over. Here we go. Craft work is a seminal um, electronic music band from Germany. Um, they are, I think they're one of our mutual favorite bands. Mm. And whenever we used to get high at Kevin's house, we either listen to Madonna or Kraftwerk after we did an episode. Yeah. Kraftwerk is like if Devo wasn't funny. <laughs> they're not funny <laughs> at all. They're like singing about robots, but they're not like winking about it. They're like, no, <laughs> robots though. It's really can we good. Make our, can we make our um, theme song a Kraftwerk song for this season? Sure. I think okay. that's actually a great idea. That's a we just I, I don't know pocket calculator, um, computer world. Computer world is great. Anyway, your homework, guys, is to listen to a lot of craft work tonight. Yeah, I'll have Gabe send you um, some craft work tunes for you to listen to. Is Gabe our new intern? 
Um, no, Gabe. Gabe uh, has a, yeah, Gabe sends them music recommendations all the time. Got it. Well, Gabe's the coolest person I know. Cut that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful, Gabe. Um, um. Okay. So then, that's your experience with Germany. But what about with German wine? Do you have like? Do you remember kind of getting into German wine? Do you have like a, a, a feeling for it? Has it like become important to your winemaking style? It, I'll no. ask Mikey first. Um, we don't, I mean, honestly, truthfully in California, German, like interesting German wine, especially on the central coast is not that attainable. Mm -hmm. um, I've had a few Ender and Malls um, mm -hmm. and they've been incredible wines, but I think I just drank them as wine and not like thinking about necessarily where they were from or how anything more than that they were delicious. Enjoying, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, in fact, I, I think I learned more just 10 minutes of Googling on, um, pre this episode mm -hmm. and I was pretty impressed. Baden sounds pretty badass, honestly. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh shit. Did you just take over the podcast? It's a violent coup. Oh, fucking finally I'm free. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's like, that's honestly my relationship with German wine is kind of similar, which is like every time you're having like a classic German Riesling, you can't help but feel like you're drinking German wine. But then every time you have like an incredible Pinot Noir, I just feel like I'm having like a Burgundy from somewhere that isn't Burgundy, or I feel like I'm having just like a stellar, like world-class wine, but not necessarily like thinking about the German nature of it or something. You know what I mean? And part yeah. of that is that like, access to really good german wine like this is a little hard mm -hmm. i mean both of the producers we're going to do today i think von Boden gets like 50 cases or something for the whole country so it's yeah, like they're limited they're very hard to find and then everything else in Baden is basically co-ops so it's not super easy to get well versed in these necessarily i think well let's let's, let's hop in on, on wine number one Let, let's get a little little chat about it um mm -hmm. Uh, are your glasses full of uh, vino, as they say in Germany, vino numero uno? Um, quick, Kevin, say a German word. Can you think of a single German word? Five, um, four, three, two, uh, one. Schadenfreude. You fail. Okay, I said Schadenfreude. Uh, Gina, one German word. Five, four, three, two, one. Hello, hello. you did it. You did it. Okay. You win. You get to have some wine. Kevin, you can't have wine. I said Schadenfreude. You said afterwards. There's a lag. So our first wine we are having today is uh, uh -oh, the Boston House. Voss, it, yeah, that's one of those weird W's they have there where they're V's. Why don't they just, do they have V's in German? I think V's are U's. Or is that Latin? <laughs> no way of telling. Keep going. <laughs> I think that's Spanish. <laughs> yeah, I love the research we did for this fucking shit. <laughs> Vossen House clearly means the House of Vossen. Yes, I think we can all agree that it probably means the House of Vossen. Uh, so this is just their entry-level spot under 2018, um, which, from what I could tell from the Vom Boden site and also from the source, which is their other importer, um, mm -hmm. is basically like... Um, yeah, it's basically their entry level um, uh, blend from a, a couple of different sites in the way, way, way south of Baden. So Baden is like super long, super thin, looks like a tiny like Chile almost. It's so like long and thin. It, it kind of mirrors um, the Alsace, which is really interesting because mm -hmm. the wines are nothing like Alsace. Like 
Um, I've had this weird German Pinot Noir obsession, and I, I count um, Alsace as part of Germany for um, reasons that probably aren't smart um, or politically nice to say. But um, I, the, Alsatian Pinot Noirs are so delicate and ethereal, and th these wines are very rooted. Like, I mean, it's not a Central Coast Pinot, certainly, but like there's some thickosity, I think, on this. Sure. Um, and actually, I was reading some stuff from Gensis, um, um, my ex, and she mentioned that uh, actually, um, uh, up until quite recently, Baden was really drinking the Robert Parker Kool-Aid. So the problem wasn't getting the wines ripe enough, but get, they're actually over-ripening. Like there's a lot of 15% alcohol wines from the region, which doesn't really um, make sense for what you know about German wine, but yeah. Well, this uh, is the warmest, the warmest area in Germany, the warmest wine growing region at least. Um, oh. And it's between the Rhine and between the Black Forest. And, you know, I think it's like clear when you're drinking these that it gets a lot more heat and concentration than you do over in Alsace. Um, yeah. How do you, how, how, how do you guys feel like it's drinking? What's your I, reaction? I mean, I can see that the fruit characteristics do come off riper, uh, but that I'm, I'm drawn to this wine because the alcohol does seem quite low. Do you know what it is? Um, Actually, this is crazy. It's 14%. Are you really? fucking shitting me? On both of these, it's like fourteen one and fourteen flat, which which is surprising. Usually they're around twelve five, um, but I guess twenty eighteen was a super super ripe vintage, so they just were a little high. But it does not drink that. I, I was thinking it does not drink like a fourteen at all. Um, I don't know. I kind of disagree. Um, I think it has like a lot of like this smells. You said not like Central Coast, but this has like some Central Coast vibes to me. There's like some cola and like plum mm -hmm. aspects to it, which like kind of remind me of California Pinot Noir. For sure. um, it, has, it has way more mineral tones than uh, a wine of this ripeness from California. Mm -hmm. But I think that's yeah. probably the thing that's like throwing us off of that of it being a fully kind of California style at all is that that like minerality that's coming through is pretty expressive mm -hmm. um i, do I think believe the soil is limestone as well limestone yeah, and so, sand there's so, much, there's so much acid on this wine like so it's yeah. rough but there's tons of acid so it holds it's alcohol that, yeah like, for sure yeah you said plum and i forget what else you said plum cola. and cola mm -hmm. yeah. i get like i think this is maybe cheating because i'm probably just thinking of it because they're near the black forest but like the way black forest cake isn't really chocolatey but it's like fruity it like reminds mm -hmm. me of that kind of like dark kind of richness um, mm -hmm. in that that fruit fruit profile, but I agree with you. Um, the, these wines are really interesting. So I've actually tasted their Nouveau. Um, have you did, did you guys get a chance to look at their labels? Yeah, yeah. They're really pretty, and I don't know why I want to look at them. But every time I see them at a wine store, I pick them up. I'm like, I need this, and they're very very understated. Yeah, um, they're full and like perfect white space. Yep. Um, and their Nouveau, uh, you know, I did not love it. It was a Nouveau. It was like a $30 Pinot Noir Nouveau. So it wasn't really something I needed in my life. Um, so that was the only one of theirs I've had. I bought, I needed it. I mean, I, I, I saw the labels. I have to have this. And then I drank. I was like, oh, this is exactly what I thought it would fucking be. Um, <laughs> I, I should have I bought one of their, like, serious wines. Um, and, like, it's really fun drinking something that they've actually put some um, a little bit more kind of effort onto, I believe. Okay. Yeah, this is giving me um so people um you misuse the term Burgundian a lot, I think. People like always like 
and I'm sure you guys get this too, um, making Pinot Noirs in California, that when something's good, they just say Burgundian and kind of uh, just roll over on their own dick and get so excited. Yeah. Um, but this doesn't taste like a... It doesn't taste like burgundy um, because it's not fucking burgundy. It is Pinot Noir and limestone, but... And they, they did they did meet in bone, mm-hmm. and they both <laughs> where they meet though, <laughs> uh, and they both worked um, worked in bone. They worked well. that bone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I miss doing this. This is fun. I do too. I like to laugh. There's a um, cool uh, cinnamon spice on this wine too. Like it's really, um, it has like cool spice tones. Mm-hmm. And it's, but it's not round. Like California Pinot Noir, like when I think of California Pinot Noir, it's, has, it's pretty round and soft. And this is not that. It has like tasting I, and shapes. Yeah. It's like way more linear, way straighter. Um, and it's, yeah. I'm definitely feeling in the sides of my mouth. Yeah. Uh, I, I, what's interesting to me about this wine and kind of about Spat Burgunder in general is that like it's this region that is like very much being now defined by nerds like it used to just be co-ops and is producing a lot of ripe wines but there's been a, a concerted effort of people like oh well global warming we should start having more wines from this region and they have like really the, the, it's been a nerd kind of a project to make people drink these wines and i think really it's been the last three years that people have really given a shit about this well i mean this the first vintage for these guys was the 20. 20- 16 vintage which i think came out two or three years ago um so they've only done i think three vintages of this and that's and then even the uh the earl and, and mall which we'll have later they i think earl uh, what is it ender and uh, yeah whatever I call earl earl. Mall. <laughs> Do these guys farm their own vineyards i i read that the guy alex is or one of them is the vineyard manager for de monte correct yeah and um and that maybe they farm like a hectare or yeah, that's it. That's what they, it sounds like. They like have one small spot and they and buy a half or something. Yeah, um, which I think uh, I, that's what I guess was to my point is this feels very much like a project, like a like an idea first mm-hmm. and foremost. Which I guess all of these you know making wine starts as an idea. Um, well, I mean, then, I don't think you should downplay farming a hectare. That's a lot of no, work. Um, I could do it in my sleep. Yeah. <laughs> And it's probably not flat. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like he still has a day job, which is the big Correct. difference. Yes. Like a full-time project and having a day job and making wines on the side. God, it's hard to talk about wine with winemakers because I want to be a jerk and you guys actually work hard in your jobs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but I just like yeah. send people emails and then they buy mm-hmm. stuff from me. Do you want to be a jerk about this hard. wine? I like this wine. No, no. I just mean like I was just being condescending by accident in front of people who actually farm. By accident. And I was, and I was called out for it, as I should have been. And it's <laughs> embarrassing. That's all I meant. <laughs> no, I think this one's delicious. How much does this wine cost? 40 or something like that i mean i think i think i don't think that's insane for this it's a lot but it's um considering how little there is and how it's pretty popular i think it's like yeah no i think it's delicious that takes like cost i mean uh, that doesn't sound that's obviously an expensive wine but if it's if it's farmed to a certain level and it's made a certain way and and unfortunately it's there's only a tiny minute of it yeah what do you guys 
what's your go-to budget for a bottle of wine as winemakers and as people in California? 40 bucks does seem like a lot, but that's that's mine because I'm But a, that's mine, yeah. I'm, I'm a I guess fancy that's my podcaster. Point. Like, I'm, a, I'm a fancy boy. If I want to drink a good bottle of wine, I'm probably spending 35 to 40 bucks. Yeah. I mean, it depends on what we're drinking. Like, we like spending 30 bucks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Who doesn't? Um, but it's hard to find. Like, we're also picky. Like, we're going to drink what we consider real wines and wines that are farmed well. Yeah. And so when you can find wines like that for 30 bucks, like we buy them. And then mm-hmm. we typically message our friends that have wine shops and, and we'll buy nicer wines with them. And usually just like, Hey, can you put together a case? I want to spend 400 bucks right. um, kind of thing. And so sometimes there's a $50 bottle of wine in there and then it gets yeah, offset by like a $25 bottle of something cheap, you know? That's sure. Good. Yeah. Do you guys always, drink together or do you guys like to drink your own bottles sometimes <laughs> um no i would get in a lot of trouble typically you know, gina has major fomo so like yeah. can't, open, can't open anything i like there's definitely some wines that are like if you open that you would Oh, I get. must suck to live with someone else, huh? <laughs> I would hate that. I will say, count your blessings, because as someone whose wife just had a baby, like nine months of having to drink alone, oh. it's actually it actually sucks because you, especially during a pandemic, you want to share wine with people. Yeah, you know? it fucking sucks, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I hate it. <laughs> you guys don't have a kid, right? No. Just you dog. guys, you guys have never had sex. That's too bad. No, not yet. Damn, Kevin, <laughs> you can't just ask our guests if they've had sex. Well, my understanding is, the minute you have sex, you get pregnant, right? One just shot, one, one kill. time. <laughs> yeah. I had it once. It was cool. Now I have a kid. I hope to one day lose my card. <laughs> my vouvre. So let's talk just in general your your experience with Pinot Noir. Obviously, you guys both make Pinot Noir. You're in. Pinot Noir country of your own before you started working with Pinot Noir what were your kind of touchstones for Pinot Noir where did you kind of what was your relationship to it before you started working with it and then how has that evolved yeah um I mean I think we are both very young and we came into this industry young so I think Pinot Noir was just like this grape that we were told is like really great and we were in this region that people had built up the idea that Pinot Noir would be great here. In reality, I think Syrah is better here. Yes, bitch. Uh, wow. Um, but, you know, we didn't, come, we, we didn't come to that till later, or at least I didn't come to that till later. Um, there's definitely some sites that are epic on Pinot Noir. I think we're, It's more site-specific yeah. as far as quality, you know. What's cool about Pinot is just that Pinot is so transparent. So it's oh, like right. it is a really good wine that shows sight. Um, so there's some varietals that don't do that as well. And Pinot does it really well. Like you can't make good Pinot from a bad site. And right. even if you pick it early and make it the right way, like if it's just a shitty site, it's not, it's going to make a really boring wine. And so it's unforgiving in that way, um, which I like about it. And then I like the weight of Pinot. I just always wish Pinot had more tannin. And um, you wish it was uh, more Sarai. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, either that or like a little more like a Nebbiolo. But, you know. <laughs> yes. Listen, Pino can hear us right now. You're being really rude. <laughs> well, I, I think that... Pino. I fell in love with Pino right out of college. Um, I was working up in Sonoma. Mm-hmm. It was where I actually transferred to Cal Poly for winemaking. 
when I was living up in Sonoma and started working my first job in the industry for a teaching room up there. And then that's kind of when I got the Pinot bug, but I was also very young in my wine experience. And then that's, um, the Pinot you know, bug is what Trump calls coronavirus. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> I hope not. Exactly what I called Pinot Maria, bug. But. <laughs> but our first jobs both in the industry were working for producers in the Edna Valley, surrounded by Pinot Noir. Um, Got it. And it's been a love-hate relationship, but I think the more we've pursued Pinot Noir, the more we've, like what you said, it's all about transparency of sight mm-hmm. and finding the right person to be able to have the powers to express Well, And we, properly. like, part of our thing is, like, we are our first customers. Like, we make wines we like. Um, mm-hmm. And so we wouldn't make Pinot Noir just cause it's all around us. If we didn't like it, like we truly do like our wines and like, like what we grow and how we grow them. That doesn't mean there's not other cool things around us. Like uh-huh. uh, I think there's too much Pinot planted in general, mm-hmm. but. Um, well, I think that's true. Even just to turn it back to Baden, like to your point, you know, Pinot um, is such a transparent grape and you can really tell when it's in the right place. Right. Yeah. And so when you find things like, in Baden, where Spot Burgunder is king, it's clear that like when these Burgundian monks came through with these clippings and they were planted here, like they didn't just plant it here, they planted it a lot of places, but it stayed here and it stayed here for a reason. But that being said, also down the line at some point, all this great old Pinot was ripped up for easier clones to grow mm-hmm. when people wanted to mass produce it. So like it's almost a double-edged sword where it's going to show you where the terroir is. It can be like a, a, a divining rod almost for like, oh, this is a good Pinot place. But then it can also be abused and can be kind of worked to death. And it can make really boring wine if you're not careful, I think. Which seems to have been what happened to an extent in Bottom. <clears throat> I'm going to have one hop on that because it, it it's a noble grape. And I think that um, for a lot of places, Pinot Noir has this um, connotation of quality um, aside from the actual wine, which I think is a, a problem with California wines in general. And I think, um, I don't know what the red wine should be in Germany. And it, it could be Spapagunder, and that's that would be great. But at the same time, like, there's not a lot of other options. Like, what, Trollinger? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. and there's not a lot of other things that being grown. Um, and Pinot, and the, sort of like how, you know, Pinot and Chardonnay are the classic capital G good wines. And so you see them in a lot of places where they shouldn't be. And there's oftentimes it's hard to tell if they should be or shouldn't be in a place. Like but it is, I mean, California should be all Syrah should be raised to the ground. Syrah only baby. Um, it is, I was thinking about this too, though, because like there's not a lot of Chardonnay, like there's not Chardonnay here. And is it just because Riesling was already here or like when you think about it, any place where there's Pinot, they've also planted Chardonnay for the same exact reason, except for really Germany and New York. You're going to get so many DMs about this. and I'm I... just saying, like, I mean, there's not a ton of Chardonnay. I'm sure it's planted, but it's like Pinot has, for some reason, really taken hold here, which I just think is interesting. I feel like I had a really good Chardonnay from Germany. Um, I I'm... think it was, like, brought in by Von Boden, too. We had it. When what we... a surprise. Um, I wish I remembered the name of it. Yeah, I think, I, I actually do think Ender and Mole, no, they do Pinot Blanc. Yeah, maybe. But I mean, uh, there's definitely is Chardonnay in Germany, but I think there is, when you look at German wine grapes, and I know like they probably all came from somewhere else, but there are a lot of white grape possibilities, Sylvaner, Muller-Turgau, Riesling, whatever. 
And then there's really, for Reds, like you said, there's not much other than Pino. And so maybe that was why Pino took hold too. It was like, there, it was like a less crowded playing field for it to take hold in. Why don't they grow more varieties from the Jura or from like other places? Um, why is it just Pino? That's what everyone wants. They want a fucking field full of Pulsars. That's like, that's money <laughs> in the bank like, right there. Those like, where's the Gamay? Or where's the Syrah? There where's were, the Syrah? Where's the Syrah? There's <laughs> there, Syrah should be full of Syrah. There should be. There you is know, some Syrah being planted. 15 bricks. Fuck. Wait, what? There's Syrah in, in, in... I think maybe Endro and Mole, one of these guys said that they were they liked working with Syrah. And that I can't remember who it was, if it was Vossenhaus or Underland Mole, but I read a line in one of on the website that said it. So there's there's some there apparently. Someone should send me a bottle of German uh, Syrah. That would be a real treat for me. <laughs> um, I'm moving on to wine number two, but before we go, uh, wine number one. Let's get some final thoughts on it. Um, this is the first real episode we've done in like eight weeks, and I forget what we do. I haven't um, done an episode in yeah a long time. Yeah, I think it's cool. <laughs> it's great. I mean, I was excited to have it. I think it's like, um, to to, to your guys' point, even in New York, I think like to get exciting German wine, you have very few places to turn. Von Boden is one of them. Um, we're not trying to just suck their dick on this, but like, I love most of the wine in their book. So, but check your DMs if you would like us <laughs> to, Stephen. Um, but that being said, it's still it's still not something that I I have a lot day to day um and so i was super excited to, to, to drink this wine and i'm not disappointed at all i think it's like it's sort of it, like you said sort of linear um it's got fruit but it's got amazing minerality um and i just found it really exciting and i thought it was conveying that the kind of terroir that that i was expecting which is cool they, they give off a bit of a they give off a vibe of like wines that i want to keep watching like um um i've taught the 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 next wine we're drinking I've, I've had a couple of these guys wines in my in wine classes i've taught and like i've been buying them for a couple of years um the Andrew and mole and they seem like they are there right now Vossen house seems like they're there but they're not fully at their potential like there's gonna be like two or three more vintages and it's gonna be like well that's the fucking wine yeah i mean i'm assuming they're, they're 2019 vintage if it's like anything like the rest of continental europe is probably fucking banging did you guys get muted No, they're not muted. Okay. Yeah. Yes, I'm sorry. You were typing, so I thought you were typing us a, a message like, hey, shut up, guys. <laughs> no, we, couldn't, we couldn't hear you. <laughs> Can you hear oh, us Oh, you now? couldn't hear us? Yeah. No, yeah. We, had oh, cool. a... we weren't talking about you. No. No, it sounds like you were talking about Wozenhaus. We yeah. said really smart stuff. It was cool. We did it. So um, now I'm on wine number two, the Ender and Mole. Um, this is their liaison which is kind of a sexy name for a wine, I think. Um, I was listening to the Cabaret soundtrack today, um, which is like, you know, the only German music I can think of. Other than Kraftwerk. Mm -hmm. Super different. Um, uh, on the Von Boden website, as Stephen compares, um, he says Andrew Moll is more punk rock and Vossenhaus is more of a chamber symphony. Um, this to me actually, do you know what this tastes like? Um, Regan's wines from Southold. It's got that same kind of like um, falling leaves and like a little bit of um, controlled rot on it. Like this wine is very much like a, a product of fermentation, which I adore in a red wine that's pushed to the edge. 
Um, so this is the liaison is they have basically two grand crews that they bottle, and then the liaison is sort of the younger vines from those grand crews. It's forty-five uh, year old, together. yeah. What do you guys think about it? I don't know. I did. I'm curious if maybe ours doesn't travel that well. Um, I kind of was wondering the same thing. Mine's got like some acetone kind of thing yeah, on the nose. So like, but mine doesn't smell how I think that these guys bottled it with the intent as they wanted it to taste right now. And I don't know if it's because of how it was broke down. Um, I mean, I can still drink it, but it has like it has some oxidative tones that I don't think are was like the aim like a little bruised apple and then some acetone kind of yeah. aroma mine tastes exactly the same but also mine was delivered on friday and i was out of town until sunday and it was just in my hallway for three days so i'm a little worried also that it might not be the wine's fault but i don't know mine's in a nice spot my, mine definitely <laughs> um like like it, it definitely has more kind of jet, jagged edges than the first one does yeah. which i think is um you know i i i compared it to the to southold's wines like and there's a, a tiny touch of acetone, which I don't find unpleasant. I actually am finding it blowing away a little bit, and the fruit's peeking out in mine. I also opened so, mine a couple hours ago. I, don't uh, know. I just opened mine, so that might be Yeah, um, the containers that um, that uh, Bespoke Social Club sends the wine in are so airtight and perfect that oftentimes the wine needs a little decant afterwards. Wow. Um, you guys can book your own class at bespokesocialclub.com, I think is what it's called. I don't <laughs> we'll double check that yeah um yeah g give it a little swirl because uh I, I i have had open for a while and i My, to be honest i should have done that it was silly of me not to but yeah i mean it's definitely more like self-consciously natty than the first wine is mm -hmm. um but i i for what i'm digging it cool I, yeah so it's good sorry uh, go on no i was just gonna say like I, the things I talked about, the bruised apple and the kind of oxidative acetone tones, I don't think are meant. I think that happened on the travel, but mm -hmm. like past that wine, this wine has a ton of energy still. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I love that it's a different fruit spectrum. Like I get more into like the citrus tones and like red mm -hmm. fruit versus the last one was much more darker, you know, yeah. classic, like warmer site, California Pinot. As far as fruit profile. Yeah, this doesn't yeah. taste anything like that. Yeah, there's much. No, I think from what I could read also, I think their sites are a little bit like more steep and maybe a little higher elevation. It was actually hard to find a lot of like site specific information for Boston House, um, which might be because they're young. It might just be because they're purchasing some fruit and it's they're just being a little bit more vague, um, which is fine. But um, but these guys have been around a lot longer, which I think is is part of why there is more information on them um they are organic they're biodynamic um they're using burgundy uh use burgundy barrels to age in from domaine um, du jacques yes i think one thing that i read that is showing me a similarity in this wine to some wines i've made there's a vine age difference i i'd be curious i think the wisen house was much younger vines mm -hmm. we work with some vines that um, or from the seventies from like not cleaned up clones. So they're just mm -hmm. suitcase clones. And, um, this has a transparency and a kind of lightness and, and like less tannin that comes with older vines or maybe not as cleaned up, um, production vines. Material. Yeah. So yeah, this tastes like an older vine, like Pinot to me. 
And I believe, and I actually think this is pretty true of, of both of these um, of these guys, but I, part of their goal is to sort of find these um, maybe abandoned or or at least not like not ruined uh, vineyards from before uh, the sixties and seventies, which sounds like was when people came in and started ripping out the kind of local clones of Pinot and planting the kind of more aggressive clones. So I think there is part of, of their mission statement, if you will, is to like look for these older vine spots and kind of take stewardship of them, which I think is is, is pretty stellar as well. These, these wines have totally different colors too. I don't know if you're mm-hmm. checking out. Um, mm-hmm. This one has so much more of like kind of like a, a brick color to it. Mm-hmm. The first one had a lot more of that, like that bright, deep purple. This one looks much older. Yeah, this one has less sulfur. And so sulfur will maintain the color. And like this wine smells, tastes, and has color showings that it's, it's made with less sulfur. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. I yeah, guess. These guys, I believe, are close to zero sulfur, and the last guys were like 30 to 50 parts. Yeah, the, so the last wines are kind of closer to what we do cool. and taste and, and everything. This wine tastes more like either older or more natty. Yeah. And, um, and by saying more natty, just meaning less sulfur. Um, yeah. Um, so like when you guys were researching about Baden, as I was moments before we started, just cramming for the, the test, you know? I was looking at this weeks before. We it were doing slip notes. So. It's really confusing. So there's the state of Baden-Württemberg and within Baden-Württemberg, there is Baden, mm-hmm. the wine growing region, and then Württemberg, a wine growing region, mm-hmm. which both used to be separate states. And then there's a city called Baden-Baden. Yes. <laughs> so would you be in Baden-Baden, comma, Baden? Like, if you were in Baden-Baden? It's very, I don't know. Anyway. Um, That's Baden. Having, having just done Italy, which I thought was confusing, <laughs> Germany's more confusing. Well, German words don't make any fucking sense. And this is thing I want to, I, I want to write to Angela Merkel about this. Uh-huh. Um, like, could they just have a chiller fucking language? Like, it's <laughs> it's so aggro. Like, whatever, dude. Chill out. Smoke a J. Spanish is so much just more soothing. Yes. Chiller, bro. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, can you just imagine, like, you know, somehow you're in an old folks home, you're you're dying of Alzheimer's, and your 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 nurse speaks German. Uh, oh, it would bring you to the worst kind of hell possible. <laughs> I, don't know. I feel like Russian could be worse. Oh, yeah, yes, definitely. Hey, there's some poetry to Russian. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Um, but Goethe's <laughs> cool or whatever. Aside from, aside from just the language, though, like um, the history of Germany, and I'm not talking about the big stuff that we're pretending didn't happen for the moment. Did not happen. Even not just in, like in, not in a weird way. It, it okay. did happen. We're just not talking about it. Learning about Italian history, maybe because they're closer to the epicenter of the Holy Roman Empire. It's of the effect, Roman Empire. Sorry, the Roman Empire. Uh, I don't know. Like, it was a little bit easier to be like, okay, like I know, and and you're like familiar with, you know, the the movements geopolitically in Italy because of learning about Greece and Rome and, and when you're a kid or whatever. But in Germany, like I didn't, they didn't talk about Germany until the 1900s in a book I read in high school, and so like it's it's just trying to read about who was the the viceroy and then the magistrate or the or who took over swabia there's so many regions that overlap and people who took control that i could not follow the plot is my point so they're all barbarians okay um germany's biggest uh 
we, we talk a lot about how um, Italy was the first colonized part of Europe, and that's maybe true, but Germany was also, oddly enough, colonized by France. And um, mm -hmm. uh, Germany, for like a lot of the uh, Renaissance and like late Middle Ages and early modern era, was like, considered like a population time bomb because they just had so many fucking people. Um, and, uh, and they were all considered to be idiots and lazy and slovenly was like the stereotype <laughs> for the rest of Europe, which is not how people t think, talk about Germans right now. Right. Um, and yeah, Germany has these two weird modes, um, that was found by classical, uh, classical thought was that described the Germans as really virile and violent and stupid. Um, and that kind of you know, gets stuck with them. So they have all these weird barbarian uh, periods, um, which is just the rest of Europe describing them that way. Right. Um, but then they accidentally um, invent industrialization, just <laughs> totally chilly. Nothing weird happens. <laughs> cool. Well, then that's thank you for the Cliff Notes version of this, because I was trying to follow. Like, Germany's not real. Italy's not real. Germany's more real and less real. There's like a bunch of tribes. Yeah. Okay, cool. That helps. And they all speak different language. It's all German, different, but it's different, different kind of German. of German. Yes, exactly. Cool. I'm an now, anthropologist, guys. Now I uh, feel like I'm kind of getting it. And I, I just want to get a sense of where I am. And it was really hard for me. Like, like when we're doing Italy, like, okay, there's France. Like, you can do mm -hmm. France easy because, as we've talked about, France has put their ideas out into the world of wine. And, and like, that's like the default way of thinking about wine. Italy was a little bit more difficult, but basically you could kind of get the hang of it. Germany is a whole different language, not literally, but like in terms of how they talk about wine and how they categorize wine and how their regions are set up. I, it just felt like I was starting from scratch. It, German, um, and this is just a really cliff notes history, German politics had a lot of different, like the feudal system was really fucking weird. So there's all these weird duchies overlapping each other mm -hmm. and like a lot of different power lines. So like it was really disconnected and like France invented the nation state and they, they did it to Italy and then Germany saw what happened and did it to themselves. I think is like, like in Germany right now, can you plant whatever you want in Baden? Can they plant Syrah? I think so. I didn't read anything about not being able to. Germany has really weird purity laws though about shit. Like I, I you could probably plant whatever you want, but you probably couldn't call it Baden. I think Baden is associated with Pinot Noir, but I, that's what I was curious about. Like, can you label this wine as Baden? Huh. You know, is it like is it like California where we can grow whatever we want? But can you can give everything Appalachian status? Yeah, mm -hmm. or ABA status. As long as it's in the Appalachian. Huh. The yeah, only laws in America for that involve like other fruit. Like you can't like you like apples. You get hosed on, but like sure. grapes, you can be very yeah. specific, and there's no like rules for certain grapes that you can't do right but i feel i always feel like that's very unique to america because <clears throat> our wine history is short and because no one knew better than to kind of set up these structures which i think are prohibitive so it's a good thing well, but what like about south africa do they do it in south africa you grow whatever you want there i don't i think but i don't know i have no idea i know that like in argentina you can't well, even I don't care because it's import cuts it's an old, it's an old old new world region so they right. would follow maybe old world world protocols as far as yeah. like and they love protocols in south africa we won't get into that either yeah we're not getting into that um one but yeah i don't know i mean i think that's really fascinating because you would almost imagine because germany is so specific in terms of categorization and it's i think it's different from 
region to region, but like in terms of sweetness categorization, in terms of quality categorization in Germany, it's very specific, especially with Riesling. But like none of these wines hit the, there wasn't an insane verbiage in any of these wine bottles. It wasn't like, you know, pride to cost. Right. Exactly. And so I wonder if that's a Baden specific thing where Baden is maybe Baden is like the Florida of Germany. It's just real laid back, nice and toasty. You just go for a walk in the Black Forest. You go for a, a swim in the Rhine. You Baden pop some Pinot. for Biden. <laughs> Wait, what was that? You think Baden, Baden is going to go for Trump or Biden? I mean, compared Ooh. to Florida. So oh. it's, it's very politically, nice. politically, this region was extremely conservative until like seven years ago, I think, mm-hmm. where the Social Democrats and the Green Party won enough seats to make a coalition government, and then it flipped. So I think they go... I think they all write in. Uh, know more about the political history of Baden than the wine history of Baden. <laughs> I can understand that part. I can grasp recent political history. I mean, one of the reasons why we're doing this is because I, something that I think Kevin and I have been really open about is that, like, and a project of the show is that wine history seems to be just like French history in a weird way and like replicating French structures. Um, and it's. Germany has resisted that in a weird way. Yeah. It's also, it's, it's illegible to non-German, like, like people who understand German wine regions who aren't Germans are like, they're like the train people. They're like really, they're like, really. You find clever. a person who knows about it and it's like, they're like a Rosetta stone. You're like, you have to be like, can you explain this bottle to me? So I know what I'm about to drink. That's cool. So like almost every other region in the world has copied the French idea of, right. of like classification of wine, except Germany. Right. Germany and I like, wonder I feel like you could read it two ways. Like it's almost helped. I mean, it's cool that they've done that, but it's almost an argument for France forcing its ways on people because like it becomes a hindrance to me as a person who wants to drink German wine. When I pick up a bottle and I have to pause for a moment and like run through my very poor wine education to try to figure out what the hell I'm about to drink. That logic would you. So do you want everyone to speak the same language? (sighs) Man, I don't know. This is, this is, I don't know how I feel. Mandarin. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I think this is, I think we should move on to your guys' stuff once we wrap this up, because I do think that we can kind of talk about what I think is fascinating. And and part of the reason why we wanted to do a month of a country with American winemakers is I think it's interesting to talk about this stuff with you guys who can really explain what the system we have here is. And in, in some ways I think it's going to be interesting to compare those systems and compare the grapes that it's the same grape, two different systems, two different climates, two different terroirs um, and kind of start that conversation. Well, and I think it's cool comparing like, I mean, Baden and central coast don't have much in common. Um, but what we have in common is that we're making wines that people call Burgundian. Yeah. Um, and so like what that aren't from Burgundy. In fact, How does that make, is that nice? No, it's annoying. It sucks. <laughs> cool. Yeah, it sounds That's what bad. I would think. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's like, it's one of those like weird compliments when someone's Thank like, you. oh, this tastes like burgundy. And you're like, or Thank it's just you. like a good wine from California. Yeah. Um, it's, like if, it's like if you make out with someone to go, oh man, you kiss like my dad. That's kind of weirder. People always tell me I'm a better dancer than I look. And it's just like, <laughs> what are you trying to say, bitch? I think you just nailed it. <laughs> Um, well, I'm just going to finish this because I don't have a spit cup. And then uh, are we going to do... I'm having a big glass of Gina's wine right now. Great. 
Um, I just want to say before we even get into this, um, your Pinot Noir from 2018 was my favorite domestic Pinot Noir I had. Hands down, blew me away. I have one more bottle in, um, in my, uh, my cellar that I'm saving for a special occasion. So um, my, I could not be more excited for this. Um, boy, if it sucked, that would be such bad radio. <laughs> Fingers wow. crossed. Can you tell us a little bit about this wine? Yeah, of course. So this is from the Shen Vineyard. Mm -hmm. I planted to one acre of Chardonnay and five and a half acres of um, As a crow flies, it's about four miles inland from the Pacific Ocean. Okay. And so we're at the south. Uh, southwestern part of Edna Valley okay. um, in a small pocket um, that sits on Monterey Formation soil. So it's kind of this section of the Edna Valley where you have these old sand dunes that run into these rock formations that are uh, compacted white chalky rock. Yeah, um, Monterey Formation is uh, it's diatomaceous earth. It's like yeah, it's California limestone, if you will. It's really white chalky Super um, ba base, in basic basic uh, mm -hmm. rock cool but yeah, this vineyard is pretty basic sweet. rock so it's like imagine dragons yeah yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> thanks <laughs> cool um, and this is wait uh this is the 19 yeah so this cool. is the 2019 vintage so i've been farming this vineyard for the last three years and uh, pursuing a biodynamic certification through uh, Demeter mm -hmm. and just gained our certification as the second vineyard within the Appalachian this past summer. Congratulations. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. This is, it's just, this is such a cool example of how, what we we're talking about, what Pinot does. Um, it's just doing it. I mean, this tastes mm -hmm. like California to me, which is what's also frustrating about people saying wine is Burgundian is it's like, um, I don't know. That's like if it, if my wine from California tastes like Burgundy, then didn't I fuck up? You did yeah. a trick. <laughs> You're a trickster. It should taste like California. That's where I fucking grew it. But like, this one is telling me exactly like our whole mantra and mission for winemaking is for the wines to be transparent, transparent at the place in which they come from. And right. we're farming and making wine in California. We want our wines to exude California, but we want it to be in a style that's influenced by what inspires us and that's the old world style. right which is why we make wines how we make them too so by not adding by making natural wine or wines without additions you actually and caring make, about farming you make wine yeah. from the place that it's grown so yeah. like if you're not adding acid or if you're picking at the right bricks you're showcasing both the vintage and that place without manipulating it for whoever you're manipulating right like restraint help each other i'm sorry kevin please go I was going to say that restraint doesn't have isn't inherently a non-California concept. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's the part that people get confused about, where they're like, "Oh, it's not typically Californian." It's like, no, it's just not over extracted and annoying. Like, they just used restraint. Restraint can be used anywhere in the world. I mean, there was just an era within our last twenty years that was like this era of non-restraint, and so people define California wines by this era of like exuberance and like. Mm -hmm and very ripe wines that for better or for worse define what people think of California wine. Um, but that's not like you looked 10 years before that California wines didn't taste like that. Um, well, and I, I don't know if I think Mikey would agree with me, like whether it's white or red wine, we're both picking it for, with the same 
ideals. Like we're picking for natural acidity. We're going to get ripeness, ripe characteristics and fruit mm -hmm. qualities at a certain bricks. But what we're really targeting is like that pinnacle point of where you have sugar accumulation crossing with where you want your target natural acidity. And so we're not waiting for wines to get extremely ripe and then manipulating the wine back to be the right chemistry we want. We're looking for to to find that true cross section where we feel the wine is at its prime balance and that's sugar and acid. That's what's cool too about different vineyards. It's like some vineyards that those, the acid and bricks, they cross at, at different levels. So at higher like, levels or lower levels. A better vineyard yeah. might get more ripe and have acid or a vineyard might be very like then the swath and like ripen at low bricks. And so it's going to be really chuggable style. Right. Wine. Um, cool. Could you? Um, yeah, what are we talking yeah. about? <laughs> no, could you talk about the the nineteen vintage kind of in general, and then maybe the Central Coast more yeah. more broadly. Also, it's it's good, and um, I technically sell both of your wines. This one, I think, is you you no one can buy anymore. So I'll just say it's really fucking good. Sorry, guys. You should <laughs> you should buy it from Gabe. Yeah. <laughs> you send yeah. you those emails. <laughs> Thank you, John. Um, so the 2019 vintage was uh, my second year farming Shen. We had a huge level of rains that we hadn't seen in a long time in 2019. Coming out of 2018, the previous year, we had only 10 inches of rain accumulation. Mm -hmm. Whereas in 19, we had 20 inches. So we had okay. double, um, which was like a very healthy rainfall for, for the Central Coast. Um, which I think really helped boost. Um, I we didn't really see yields boost in 2019. We kind of saw that carry over into 2020. Mm -hmm. um, but as far as the growing season itself, we had some. We always get a little bit of frost pressure in the early springtime. Um, it's kind of that transition from, of course, winter to spring, um, and we always kind of try to dodge the heat waves in the late summer. I think we had a heat wave kind of right on schedule. Yeah, in 20 every year in July we get hit with with pretty bad heat. Anything over 100 degrees will fry anything, any clusters that are in the direct sunlight. Mm -hmm. And so we leave all of our leaves. We don't um we don't do any leafing. So it's it's interesting like leaves, yeah. the idea of like mimicking what people in Burgundy do mm -hmm. is not what we're doing. So we we are tr we are protecting fact, the fruit fruiting zone. Soon in Burgundy they're going to start trying to figure out what California's doing if they're right. used to do what it's doing. But so like we're looking for shade. So Gina doesn't take any leaves off. And so anything that's exposed at all in these July heat waves uh, becomes a raisin and ends sure. up and ends up falling off. So it's before there's fruit development. These are still green berries, and, th and then they turn into raisins. And what that does is actually just lower our yield. So in 2019, we lost like 25% of our crop from a bad July heat wave. Mm -hmm. um, and the argument for leaf removal would be because we are so coastal, we have high humidity levels. Mm -hmm. Right, you're worried about that mildew. But yeah, because of mildew pressure. But we focus our energy on pruning and, and shoot positioning and acquiring enough airflow through that and our trellis system. Yeah, and also the de-vigor, like not using yeah. fertilizers and like um, having the vines actually just be naturally de-vigored. We're going on sand in one spot and rock in the other. It's a naturally very 
low vigor site. And so John's been devigored. I just wanted to say that. Sorry. (laughs) I've been devigoring pretty hard this season. Um, But it's interesting. I'm assuming you guys both kind of talk about this. Um, What's your relationship with each other's wine labels? Like, are you guys hand in glove? Are you two winemakers who live in the same house and sleep in the same bed and give each other little kisses, make pancakes sometimes? Maybe, (laughs) maybe back rubs, say, say the, the L word. I don't know. Sounds pretty nice to me. I'm pretty lonely. What's up? Um, no, but what, what do you guys do about um, wine? It's kind of like, kind of in between that. Um, we're like each other's wingman or like, just like not assistant. So you like talking like, up to each other to grapes? Like, yeah, no, like whenever Gina needs help, like I'm let there. Let squish you. Always to let her squish me, you know? When <laughs> she needs to warm her feet up, like I let her warm her feet up on my, on my feet, you know? <laughs> DM's open, guys. (laughs) No, I mean, I think Gina, so Gina farms her vineyard um, Mm -hmm. fully. That's her day job. That's like what she does. And then when she needs my help, she asks for my help and then I'll come and help her. But it's not like anything more than. It's like pulling teeth to get him to come. That's not true. (laughs) Do your wines taste similar to you guys? Like, do you guys, when you guys taste your wines, like, oh, I see what you did. This is like. No, I mean, our wines taste how our personalities are. Like, so Gina is, like, way more controlling than me. And uh, <laughs> Okay. Wow. wow. <laughs> yeah, that's not the nice word. <laughs> okay, Fraulein. <laughs> she's, way more de- she's way more detailed. Paging Dr. Freud. Sorry, go on. She's way more detailed than me. Um, and Gina reminds me of my mom. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, Gina. Gina cleans things better than I do in the winery, and she is more detailed and has. Um, I think it's it's like often more... a reflection of how we were trained. So the the winemakers I worked for and in, in the different regions I worked for, mm-hmm. I was trained a specific way, and it was very detail oriented. You make wine this way, and every it's a quite a sterile process as mm-hmm. far as um, cleanliness. Whereas Mikey was trained in a different way. Oh, yeah. go, go on how Mikey was trained. I, I saw that face. That, <laughs> spill, the, spill the tea. We're, we're, we're in a safe space here. No, I mean, I wasn't really trained. Um, Mikey is like a thousand monkeys typing on typewriters and they come up with Shakespeare. I still, I still poke the typewriter. If that um, <laughs> I do, though. But um, no, like we, we actually have some similar um, winemaking experiences that came from different sides. Um, Gina worked for uh, Burn Cottage, which was kind of framed by Ted Lemon. Mm-hmm. And so she picked up a lot of Ted Lemon's um, protocols and little knickknacks and tricks. And, and each winemaker kind of picks up things they like along the way and then brings it to their own style. And I made my wines at the Biennacito Winery mm-hmm. for a number of years. And the, the winemaker there was the assistant at Literai. And I definitely copied a bunch of his little tricks. Like, oh, I like that idea. So I'd start using that. And then we actually didn't know this. And then when we started making wine together, it was like, oh, so we got where, did, where did, did you, you learn, learn that? How to do and, that? And, yeah, and, uh, I do that. You do it too? But the reason we have different, we're husband and wife. Um, so like, why wouldn't we have one winery? The reason Stop bragging, Jesus. <laughs> the reason we have two different wineries is because we make decisions so differently. And okay. uh, wines are made in like a thousand small decisions. And so... Neither of us want to be dominant over each other as far as forcing our decision over each other. Mm-hmm. So by having two different wine labels, we can make our own decisions and make wines with the same 
intent and the same philosophies that are drastically different because of the small decisions that we make along the way. Um, and so well, we also work within different regions with different vineyards. There's no overlap as far as like vineyards that we work with. Right. And so it's our expressions of different places within the central coast, but it's through Scarve the Seas through Mikey's lens and everything that's influenced him in his winemaking career. And then Lady of the Sunshine is, is through my lens. And then Gina, Gina is a true vigneron where I am more of like a negotiant that works with growers. Um, and so there's a difference in that too. Right. Does everyone tell you how cute you guys are? Do you, do you get that a lot? Like it's just, it makes me fucking sick. <laughs> Sorry, John. It's been a I long pandemic it. for John. Um, but um, I, I, I really like, um, I'm excited to drink your wines together because um, I've always, I've always wondered this because you guys are so excited. I know a lot of like, I, this isn't me jinxing. I know a lot of winemakers who used to, who got divorced. Um, and I, I, I seem to represent a lot of those guys and like um, people in the same port, but it's weird to know two winemakers who have a good working relationship. Um, and again, this is not jinxing. I, I, I hope to fucking God this, you guys remain. John's just amazed anytime he sees a good relationship. You guys are happy. That sounds fucking sick. What's your secret? But no, um, it must be really interesting to taste wine that someone you love made. And then to also know, I know how to make wine. Like, um, uh, I remember when I, when I had a relationship back in the long ago, um, I bake bread. I, I, I bake sourdough bread. And my, 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 my partner tried to make sourdough bread. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing? You do not do that in this house. You do not bake bread. This is for me. You can bake a pie. You can bake potatoes. But bread is me. It's like, so what's the ego like? Because, um, I mean, not you two in specific, uh, but uh, winemakers are all fucking deranged lunatics um, with massive <laughs> ego problems. So like, wh wh what's it like, guys? No, I mean, I think both of us don't want to have those kind of egos. Um, and so like that, isn't necessarily a problem. Um, well, I think it's all one household, right? So Mikey's success is my success and vice versa. And so... I'm so mad. <laughs> so you guys share a bank account? No, we, we actually don't share a bank account yet. Hell yeah, player. That's so right. Never share a bank account. You know what's up. <laughs> we do want to share a bank account, but it's just been a fast year. Always keep a little something on the side. You need your mad money, you know? You can buy so many sundresses. It's insane. Some walking around cash. <laughs> for How many dresses are you going to buy? Um, I've, started so to, I've started to drink Mikey's wine. Is that is that too soon? No. Um, do a 9-11. You can drink his wine. <laughs> these are both beautiful, but it's really it really is, like you said, cool to drink them side by side. But, like Thinking that you guys have obviously a, a very similar framework, at least, where you're coming from. But they're drastically different wines, and they're both excellent. I want to ask one question before we move to Mikey's wine. Mm -hmm. Gina, are you proud of this wine? I love this wine. This is my favorite expression of the Champino that I've been able to make. It, it's uh, super different than your last vintage, I feel. Um, there's a bit more whole cluster, but everything mm -hmm. else is quite the same. It's picked around the same level of ripeness, 21 mm -hmm. books, all neutral French oak, native yeast fermentation. Um, I've been leaning more into whole cluster each vintage. Mm -hmm. I think the first vintage was around 65. This one was closer to like 70, 75. Cool. And then my 2020, I played around with 100%. Why not? It's the last year we'll ever be alive. So just throw it all in there. <laughs> all in, you know? All or nothing. <laughs> this last year hasn't really felt like being alive to me. 
but I'm not. I'm not living in California with my with my lover who also makes wine. You guys you don't know? call each other lovers, right? That would be terrifying. Not on This is my lover, the scar of the sea. I'm back. Hi, guys. Um, can you can you talk about the differences in these two, where the grapes are coming from with these two wines? Yeah, so um, Gina's wine comes Ooh. from Edna Valley. Um, Edna Valley is uh, in San Luis Obispo County. It's a, a valley that it's a north north south running valley, so it gets its um, ocean influence from Morro Bay. Uh, there's foggy mornings, windy afternoons. It was developed in the '70s by um, Rick Graft, who started Chalone, um, was kind of one of the main guys down here planted some Chardonnay, uh, in this, and so this, the Valley was kind of started in the, in 73. Um, my wine, the scar, the sea wine comes from Santa Maria Valley, um, started, a, planted the grapes a little earlier than the Edna Valley. Uh, in fact, the vineyard that, um, one of the vineyards in this wine, Rancho Sisquac, was planted in the mid 60s, which was probably one of the first vineyards planted in that valley. Um, so geographically, they're about 20 miles apart. Um, okay. As far as like climate goes, Santa Maria is a bit cooler, maybe like two to three degrees on average cooler than Edna Valley, um, uh, a much larger valley. And it's what I would consider more of like a working valley, kind of like Salinas Valley. So it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's, it's where a bunch of our produce is grown. There's lettuce, there's broccoli, there's flowers. asparagus, there's flowers all in the flats. So the, the valley is very flat. And so there's a bunch of ro Which row crops. Which is similar in the valley too. Lots of row crops in the flats. Yeah. Not, not, not as much yeah. as in And then the um, Santa Maria, uh, so it's row crops on the flats and then on the hillsides and kind of on the, on the foothills of the, the mountain range right there is the vineyard. So that's like where Bien Nacido mm -hmm. and Rancho Sisquax all the way in the back. Uh, Rancho Oniveros, which is the other vineyard in here, is kind of in this weird spot in between. It's like in the middle of the valley. On um, It looks like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like just kind of chaparral and like not much growth looks like kind of desert vibes. Mm -hmm. And then, and then there's like oil fields and then there's these vineyards. So it's, it's a weird part of California too, where it's like you see oil fields and vineyards in the same zone. Um, and it's like, it's super influenced by the coast. Yeah. 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 It's because definitely more, co it's very coastal. I'd say the climate. coolest mm -hmm. AVAs in California, not coolest meaning like, I was about to say, cool, like cool, bro. Like not coolest like playing bike polo, but yeah. coolest like yeah, like not like bike polo. You know, like cool. the bike the, Quidditch. The most <laughs> yeah, like nothing like Quidditch. Um, Don't talk about the the coolest temperatures would be Santa Rita Hills, yeah. uh, the Sonoma Coast, and Santa Maria Valley. Those okay. would all three compete for like being the coolest temperate zones for growing grapes. Got it. Do you guys make wines that taste like each other's wines? Like how much of, um, how much, of, let me phrase that better. How much of the big differences in the wines are chalked up to you two or to the, um, the, the area itself? Uh, I'd say it's mostly the area. And then it's it, it would and be, it's, it would be area and first our... and then us. Um, okay. Shen is a really, Gina only makes Pinot Noir from Shen. And so that's one vineyard she makes Pinot Noir from. I make Pinot Noir from a bunch of different vineyards. 
Gina's Shen Vineyard tastes nothing like any of my other vineyards. And it's right. because that place has this very unique soil. So it's on this like diatomaceous earth. I don't make any wines that have that soil. Um, she uses more whole cluster than I use because that site allows more whole cluster. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and so she gets more mineral tones, more edges, more tannin. Remind me of the first wine. That yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Really similar, actually. Yeah. Where Santa Maria doesn't have that soil, um, and it has older plantings that are a little more less. Like the second one. Yeah, less tannins, <laughs> more like the second one, really. Um, dare I say? Ooh, you you dare. <laughs> this yeah, is more. This is more pear shaped. This is um. This is a cow piggy and wine. Cow and piggy wine. That's what I heard. And Calpigian is a Latin word that means um, uh, having well-defined buttocks. Oh, mm. a little badonkadonk, if you will. A badonkadonk. <laughs> but I think it is a non-gender specific word, unlike badonkadonk. So it's like, it's it's chiller to say. Okay. Chiller. Kevin is, um, Kevin is a sexist, I'm afraid to say. Cut yeah. that. That's are you in the court, true. Kevin? Are you in the court of Master Smallies? That's not cool. <laughs> that was my joke from before damn, we started we go. recording. God damn it! We need to know the answer before we can continue this podcast. Uh, I will not answer any more questions without the presence of my lawyer. <laughs> um, do Psalms like your wines, guys? We can cut this. We can strike this in the record. They they don't. Psalms suck. Uh, I hate them all. Um, I almost wore my God Hates Psalms sweatshirt today. Oh, that sweatshirt. Oh, wow. It was really good, but it's from a different podcast. It's not our podcast, but it's Front of House, which um, I canonically love. You should get their sweatshirt. There are other sponsors today. <laughs> um, this is super fun, and I'm, I really am loving having these four wines together. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. This is a really interesting lens to look at Pinot between Germany and California, take fucking France out of it and just look at these two areas. Um, would what, what would you say, if anything, your wines owe to France Ooh. versus the German wines owe to France? Do you That's feel like there's question, any Kevin. responsibility at all? Yeah. I mean, I think that we get a they lot. pay child support? <laughs> we don't pay any child support, but we get a lot of our – I mean, we, we don't make up any of our ideas, right? We're just basically like using other people's techniques and experiences and other things to mold our wines. Learning from other wines and yeah. winemakers that inspire us. And right. a lot of the best techniques, at least the ones that we know, come from France. Um, mm -hmm. So we are not using modern techniques in winemaking. We're trying to use as old minimalistic lo-fi styles as possible. Right. And that comes from france tick tap like most of the time um right. and a lot of the wines that inspire us to make the wines we make are the wines that we drink and um we don't drink a lot of bottom we drink more wines from france and italy right i was thinking a lot when you were talking about how you guys both picked up cues from where you learned your winemaking from and it was like reminding me and i can we can stop this tangent if no one hears a sporto but it reminded me of like coaches in the nfl or the nba where they will like they have houses of, of like schools of thought and the, this coach 
was an assistant coach for this guy. And so he has this like house style. And then this guy also worked for that guy and they're playing each other and they both have similar defenses or whatever. It just was like really interesting for me to think about it in that context of like, you guys have like learned these playbooks in a certain sense or these trick plays or these just like scenarios that you can run. I t- that totally resonates with me and kind of my training like after college being fully immersed in the industry. I spent four years traveling and working in different regions for different winemakers. And you definitely take pieces of it with you. And you're like, oh, I love this, hated that, I'm gonna leave that. Go to the next place. And then that kind of helps shape who you want to be as a winemaker. Well, we were talking about it the other day. We never worked at places that actually didn't add anything to their wine. Until no, we make the most natural wines now than we were ever trained to make. That's right. fucking cool. Yeah, no, we're definitely proud of that, 100%. And it's just one of those things, it's like, we weren't taught to make wine like this. We evolved to it, and we didn't, I, I, I can speak for myself, Gina's made natural yeah. wine from day one. I didn't yeah. even know what natural wine was really in 2012, and so I made wines how I was taught, and then yeah. I evolved from that, um, mm-hmm. and I continue to evolve. Like, uh, hopefully my wines continue to push and get better as we keep drinking and getting inspired and you know i think a lot of it too is us learning more and more about farming and especially over the last three years like farming shen and and doing it together and it's do you guys hear that she said well, yeah. i saw that I was like, <laughs> she was trying to be nice just let it you happen. guys are making another winemaker <laughs> no, but um but learning i mean it's been a learning process for both of us with with the shen vineyard coming into our lives the past few years Mm -hmm. and the more we've learned to be transparent in farming the more it's pushed us to like how can we be even more transparent in our winemaking and kind of carrying that over so i think the more we've pushed into farming the more it's pushed us to be like to decrease our impact in our winemaking side too yeah i like that i'm getting some feedback is it better Having followed yeah. both your wines for the last couple of years, um, I do think you guys are entering a really fun, creative period right now. Um, it seems like you're hitting stride, which is weird because 2020 is not a year where we're supposed to succeed. So um, <laughs> fuck you guys, but uh, like you're you're doing all, you're hitting all the right notes. Um, Sorry. <laughs> I, I maybe like your wines the best today actually it, it, my, my top two wines are almost certainly domestic today which is kind of fucked um that's not that's not me trying to suck up to you guys i, I <laughs> i'm gonna die soon i don't care if anyone likes me but um they're the, they're the, they're really beautiful and there's like something about these that are like i think you guys should be really proud of where you are right now oh thanks oh that sounds so pathetic it does. Who are you guys voting for? You're huh? a big softy. <laughs> we already voted, John. For who? Can you say? Yeah, of course. We voted for Biden. 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 Biden 2020. It would be so cool if I didn't know who Joe Biden was. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Huh? Who is this guy? Hunter. Hunter. I'm My voting for Hunter. Buddy? I'm literally voting for Hunter. Who is Hunter Biden? <laughs> Um, um, I will say that my favorite thing about today in general was how different all four wines were. Um, mm-hmm. And it just reinforced this kind of... I haven't had a Pinot Noir, honestly, in months. Like, I've been drinking Syrah, Cab Franc. 
Big mistake. Italian wine, like everything but Pinot. Um, this just got me like super jazz to drink more Pinot, which is really exciting. Both your wines are phenomenal. Um, yeah, this is this has been really fun. Yeah, Pinot has been like my, my favorite grape for a while, and like it's it, it feels like such an old man thing. Like I love to drink a Pinot Noir, but it's but you it know what? Fucking whips. It's like the other day I put on um, Kid A by Radiohead, and I haven't listened to Radiohead in like seven years. And I was like, oh, wait, this still slaps. That's cool. Yeah. Um, do you guys know who Radiohead is? Never heard of them. They're yeah. a really obscure yeah. band I'm really into. <laughs> um, like, I'll send you guys a mixtape or whatever. I got kicked out of a party um, uh, in college. Uh, it was called Indie Wine Wednesday. So it was an indie music party. And my friend uh, Terry and I um, burned a CD that we said was Radiohead before um, before they got famous. And it was... Um, it was a puddle of mud song on repeat. <laughs> <laughs> and then we were asked to leave the wine party. I was like, nothing's more pretentious than drinking wine and listening to music. And now, wow, that's all I can do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, that kind of made me think about, I'm curious about your guys' experience with Pinot. I mean, mm. throughout your career, has it been something you've always gravitated to? Has it been something that you've faded away from and then? The fourth episode of this podcast was a Pinot Noir episode, and we were told by a very famous wine store in New York City that Pinot Noir was over, and I haven't <laughs> stopped talking about this. I have been, like, such a fucking dick about it, and, like, I, st- I buy wine from there. I-, I-, I love them all, but, like, I'm just, like... You only buy Pinot? No, actually. I, I-, I only buy, like, Tassard from them, but... Um... <laughs> I- my relationship with Pinot is funny because what my first job in wine... Uh, I managed a wine store and I didn't know anything about wine and and, I, and a guy walked in and he asked me for um, my fullest body red and I pointed him towards the Pinot Noir and it felt like very um, looking back I'm like oh that was super embarrassing my son's gonna get his diaper changed behind us this is exciting I don't want to see this you can't see it you're good how old is he Kevin uh, he's seven weeks seven weeks seven weeks tomorrow Sweet. He's very cute. Congratulations. Thank you. What's he um, into these days? He's really into craft work. Sick. And <laughs> Pinot Noir. He's going to end up being like a Sylvaner and Avril Lavigne kid, and you're going to be so mad. I love Avril Lavigne. That'd be so cool. That would actually be tight. My, <laughs> this is my this is my three-year-old. He loves Avril Lavigne. It would be the coolest flex. Um, no, my, my relationship with Pinot Noir is that like I think I take it for granted sometimes. Like I know it's always going to be there, and I never like I never choose to have it. I always feel like I need to do something more um, cool or different. Like oh, I should open like that one I haven't had before. I'm like oh, it was okay. It's like I feel like I should allow myself to drink Pinot Pinot Noir more often because I know I, if it's great Pinot Noir from a producer I love, that I'm going to be really satisfied by it. And I just don't. I find like I just don't do that too, like often enough. German Pinot Noir has been my ticket to this, where it's like, oh, I get to drink a Pinot Noir, but it's also, it's work and intellectual because it's from a place that people don't drink a lot of Pinot from. Mm. So it's like, look at me, I'm being cool drinking everyone's favorite grape. (laughs) Right. Isn't that kind of cool? Like, I guess I'm curious because we don't drink a lot of Burgundy. I mean, I have to be on it. Like, that's not, they're not in our budget. And so like, when people say like, it's Burgundian, I'm kind of like, 
How many times you guys reference Demore today? I mean, you guys, you guys drink a lot of fancy wine. Well, everyone oh, knows we, Burgundy, we, but it's not like you drink it. I mean, Demore is not that those expensive. Are, those aren't expensive. Okay. Well, well, I mean, they're definitely like Demore is basically like our anniversary one, and we get as many Demores as we can. So, so you guys, do, you guys do Demore instead of De Beers. Exactly. Got it. That's yeah. what's up. Hey, I like to do more beers. You know what I mean? <laughs> Damn, bitch. I would love to drink seven beers right now really fast. Beer and Pinot <laughs> is a good combo. I'm sorry, we interrupted you doing a joke. No, it's like a spritz. You should put some beer in your Pinot, and it's like the that's what the Germans do as a spritz. They call it a Kier Royale. Do you guys have a German accent you want to debut for this podcast before we um we end? Oh, I see. I see. Gina looks like she wants to do a German accent. <laughs> I can't offend the world. Yeah, no. <laughs> okay. You can't offend German people. It's impossible. Yeah, they, they're so apologetic because of incidents that happened in the 19th, in the 20th century. They really have not, not a leg to stand on. You can say whatever you fucking want to a German. <laughs> I'm interested to see where we end in this month because, like, I feel like with Italy, like, we didn't mention Mussolini for, like, the first five episodes. And then, like, we went hard one episode on it. Oh, because we did his hometown. That was bad. Yeah, I don't want to... Well, we'll talk about this later. I don't. There's some things I just don't. I don't think are fun to talk about. But I sure. also like. I do think that Germans should have their feet held to the fire, literally. Sure. Every single person in Germany. <laughs> well, well anyway. this has been a podcast about wine. It's called Discorgeous. Um, thank you guys. Um, thank you guys you, for being here. Do you have anything to plug? Like a band or like um, um, a zine. Um, you guys should all talk to Gabe. He has all the coolest <laughs> music and zines. He probably has a hat. Um, he anything that's cool, Gabe knows. Wow, I, I, you um, heard it here first, folks. And Gabe works for Core Wine uh, Company, yeah, right? Okay, you can find cool. him at corewinecompany.com. Great. He sat in this very seat one week ago to get today, and we had some fun. Were you wearing masks? Yes. Yes, yes. we were wearing masks. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I I think we should all plug Gabe. Gabe's the best. Um, buy wine from him. Cool. Um, guys, thank you so much for being here. This has been awesome. Uh, Lady of the Sunshine, Scar of the Sea. Look, buy it wherever fine wines are sold. Buy it early. Buy it often. Hey, um, so who should all, all of our listeners vote for tomorrow? Yeah. What What was that? What was that last John? thing, John? Who should our listeners vote for? It's up to you guys. Uh, Biden, hundred percent. Biden. Baden. Wow, That's Baden. a funnier joke than Biden. Baden. Well, for Baden, um, which is what I call Biden because he's very bad. I, my mind, let's go. I have a question for you guys, Kevin yeah. and John. What are you guys drinking tomorrow night? It's an important night. Yeah. I have a magnum of uh, Swiss Pinot Noir <laughs> drinking from 2011. That's Sweet. pretty cool. I have a bunch of... Um, when we bought wine from Von Boden for this pod, we also got some just for ourselves. We got I'm, mostly for ourselves, might, let's be honest. I might drink some like old um, old Riesling from like 2006 and then follow that up with some Armagnac or something. I don't know. I'm going to go wild on it. Do you guys and drink your wines? What are we drinking on Wednesday? Poison. Poison. <laughs> it's very pivotal. It just depends. Yeah. Who do we think is going to win? Let's just do this. This is the ele- this is the Discordious election roundup. Who do we think is going to win? So we'll start with my co-host, Kevin. Who's winning this election? We all lose. We all lose. All right. Our guests, who's winning the election? 
five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Uh, Biden's winning the election. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I hope. You have to put your good intentions out there. Yes. Okay, so that's putting fair. Good intentions, Biden winning. Florida, Georgia, both are going to Biden. And then Florida, we're Georgia drink, line, great bands. We're going to drink some great wine. I and North Carolina was in the mix. I think it's South Carolina. I get them mixed up. What is your victory wine and what is your defeat wine? Oh, no. <laughs> That's the Wednesday wine. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think the victory is Mezcal and the defeat is also Mezcal. Yeah. Hell yes. We should have just done Mezcal. Mezcal is so much more fun than wine. It fucking sucks. Mezcal, please? Just, just do Mexico and just drink different types of tequila and Mezcal. We've, we were supposed to do... We were supposed to do maze call, then the pandemic then happened. The pandemic and you guys happened, got pregnant. and it got crazy. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it this next year. Oh, my son is eight months old. Is this a COVID baby? No. Okay. I mean, we were pregnant before COVID happened. So when does COVID got double pregnant during COVID? COVID yeah. Start. What's that? When did COVID baby start? Yeah, March. March. Nine months. We ago. are you asking me when the last time I had sex was? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When Extremely- the one time. Drake voice. I had sex three times this week. I can't explain. <laughs> In the Catskills. Oh no, no, not me. No, I don't. I don't do that. That's what Drake says. <laughs> um, speaking of sex, I have to go take care of my child. Um, so, would you advise that our listeners wear condoms, Kevin? Yes. Okay. Um, be safe. <laughs> Vote early and often. But early, but often, wear condoms, wear masks, um, drink Pinot Noir. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys for being on our stupid fucking podcast. Thank you guys. We love you guys. We love you guys rule. All right, bye. Namaste. Bye. Discourteous.